Hello, hello, hello. Good morning, everybody. Please take a seat after you're finishing saying hello. There's so many people here today. I was expecting a smaller crowd with a bunch of our church family up north camping in Happy Jack. I got a report yesterday that they're loving the weather up there, and I said, oh, thanks for letting me know. Gosh, it's been quite hot. But all of you are here today, and you are stuck with me. Um, oh, wow, okay. I didn't say that for an applause. Jeez Louise. Yes, you are stuck with me. Um, actually, Sam's the one truly stuck with me all the time. But my name is Liz. If I have yet to meet you, I'm one of the pastors here at Hope. And today we get to continue in our Luke series that we're going through called Luke Jesus for Everyone. And the book of Luke is one of four gospels in the Bible, and it simply just means the good news of Jesus. So the, Luke, the book of Luke is telling these stories of Jesus and his time here on earth and what he did. And so I'm super sick. So I think last time I was with you guys, I was preaching in Luke 5, and that felt like a long time ago. So um, we are moving very slowly, and I'm pretty sure I made the joke that we would finish it by the time our son's in kindergarten. But I think we're going towards third grade now. It's, it's continuing to, to bump up here. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 6 together today. And I wanted to make mention of what is going on in Luke 6 before we jump in specifically to the text. And in Luke chapter 6, we see Jesus, and he's delivering one of his most famous sermons. It's called the Sermon on the Plain. Okay, the Sermon on the Mount is his most famous sermon, and it's in the book of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7. And then in Luke, we see another one. It says he comes down from a mountainside, and he stands on this flat ground and begins to preach and teach. And that's why it's called the Sermon on the Plain, because it's a flat ground, not fat ground, flat ground, and not uh, not the Sermon on the Mount where he's preaching on a, a mountainside. And Pastor Duane was with us last week, and he preached out of this same text and talked about judgment and condemnation. Really difficult text to preach out of, and I think he did an amazing job. And if you have yet to listen to it, please go back to our website, Facebook podcast, and listen to it. This isn't a plug to go do, to, for us. It's actually because I believe it was an amazing sermon and sets the stage for where we're headed as a church family as well. So if you missed it, go listen to it. It's worth it. But one of the things that Pastor Duane talked about, and specifically in regards to judgment and condemnation, was this idea of it's a matter of the heart. And really what Jesus is doing here on the Sermon of the Plain is he's trying to get to the heart. He's trying to allow us to take an inner look at what's going on inside. And he's talking about establishing this new kingdom, this new kingdom, a kingdom that would be inverted, that would be flipped upside down to what the people of the day were normally used to. So the verses that we're looking at today are three verses that directly follow the the passage that Pastor Duane was in last week. And we see the same exact theme happening, where Jesus is flipping this kingdom upside down. He's flipping the script on 
people who say, well, this is how you're supposed to live. And Jesus is saying, actually, let's rethink this through a different lens. And so we're going to continue in that in, in Luke chapter 6, 43 through 45. And if you have your Bibles, you can open there. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, or have access to one, we have free Bibles in the back. And I would love to make sure every single person has access to one and has one in their home or whenever they want to read one. So please, it's a gift from us to you to take. So we're going to be in Luke 6, 43 through 45 together. And before I read it, I want to talk specifically about what Jesus is flipping the script on in this passage. Last week, it was on judgment and condemnation. This week, it's on character and integrity. And Jesus is saying, hey, culturally speaking, back then, especially in the Jewish uh, tradition, in order to be made right with God, you have to do right behavior. So right behavior equaled being made right with God. So it was this outside-in kingdom. And Jesus is saying, actually, it's what's in your heart, and it's actually being made right with God that then overflows and comes out. So what's on the inside, it's actually an inside-out kingdom, not an outside-in kingdom. So he's talking about how good character actually is what is first established in the heart and then comes out, not the other way around, which would have blown people's mind back then because they believed it was about works and performance and right behavior, and then that made them right with God. And Jesus is saying, we're going to press pause on that, we're going to flip it, and it's first about what's in your heart and being made right with me, that then this overflow of goodness comes out of your life. All right, so let's read this text together. Luke 6, 43 through 45. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Let's read this again in Eugene Peterson's version of the message. He says it like this. He says, you don't get wormy apples off a healthy tree, nor good apples off of a diseased tree. The health of the apple tells the health of the tree. You must begin with your own life-giving lives. It's who you are, not what you say and do that counts. Your true being brims over into true words and deeds. So do you see this ethical reversal happening? Jesus is flipping the script here. Back then, the fulfillment of the law was behavior and good works. And Jesus is saying, it's this inside-out heart in posture that leads to the flourishing in the world around us. So we're going to look at a couple of movements that are found within this passage. And before we unpack those a little bit, I'd like to imagine what's happening just this scene of the Sermon on the Plain. Earlier in chapter 6, Jesus called his disciples, his 12 disciples specifically by name. 
And he called them by name, and he, uh, he invited them to call, uh, come and follow him. So he comes down from this mountainside, and he begins to preach, and he's looking specifically at his 12 disciples. So this message is actually intended for people who would say that they're a disciple of Christ. But surely there was other people in the crowd. There was people who were also followers, just not named. There was probably also people who were curious about Jesus' teaching, still checking him out. And then there was probably people who were being radically rocked and maybe not even in a good way, maybe didn't like what Jesus had to say because it was so controversial. So there's lots of several people in this crowd that Jesus is speaking to in the Sermon on the Plain. And I'd like to imagine that, yes, there's implications for them. That's why Jesus preached this sermon. But the same goes for us in this room today. You might identify yourself as one of those people. I'm, I'm, a, I'm one of those disciples known by name. Or I'm just curious and just checking it out. Or Jesus' teachings radically rock me, but sometimes they feel really hard to follow, and I don't know if I want to be all in, or it's disruptive to my belief system that I've grown up with. And so there might be all sorts of emotions happening in the room today. So there's implications for everyone in this text, and I want you to imagine that the same exact scene that Jesus is preaching to people at the time at the Sermon on the Mount is similar to what's going on in this room today. It's a message for us all. So the three movements are going to be look, examine, and do. Look, examine, and do. And we're going to move through those throughout the rest of our time together. And before we jump in, I want to tell you a story about when I first moved to Arizona. I was a poor, starving college student. And as I drove around these neighborhoods, I noticed something. There was orange trees and citrus trees everywhere. So as a poor, starving college student, I was like, man, everyone has access to all this free fruit in this state. They seem to be on public ground. So one day I threw a bag in my car and I drove to a street where I knew that there was fruit. And I, yep, you guys are all laughing. You know where the story is going. I filled that bag up and I took it back to my dorm room and I expected to feed every single person on my floor and make orange juice and enjoy this delicious grab of fruit. And sure enough, I peeled back that orange and I took my first bite. And that was the day I learned about ornamental fruit trees. <laughs> no one warned me. Why, it feels like a crime. Oh my goodness, right? It looked good, but it tasted terrible. Has anyone had that experience? Okay, thank you. You know, it's funny, I would have friends come into town and, oh my gosh, there's all this fruit. I'm like, yeah, we're not touching that. I know, I know, I know. Well, what's interesting is in preparing for this message, I actually went to gardeningknowhow.com because I wanted to know what's the purpose of an ornamental fruit tree? Like, why do they even exist? And this is what gardeningknowhow.com says about, and I didn't make this up, okay? Oops, I'm way past these notes. Here we go. It says, these trees are bred as ornamental and produce fruit more as an afterthought. <laughs> this is word for word. The fruit is designed to be edible, but not good. Why? Why? 
why? Oh my gosh, I felt so fooled. And here's the thing, I'm setting the stage. This is what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Plain. A real fruit tree versus an ornamental fruit tree. Okay, he's talking about this idea of things aren't, all, aren't always what they seem. We have to look a little bit deeper at what's going on. And so my invitation for us today as we go through these three movements is to look a little bit deeper at what's going on in our own lives. And I also want to say, look deeper into my life. As a teaching pastor here at Hope, Like we need to look deeper at people's hearts, at what the root is and what's actually going on. Because it could look great, but there could be something deeper. So number one, we're going to look at the root. We're going to look at the root. And I'd like to make the point that it's from root to fruit, not fruit to root. Okay? So it's from root to fruit, not fruit to root. What I mean is if you have a good fruit or good root, you will likely produce good fruit. But if there's good fruit on the tree and a bad fruit, that just doesn't work, right? A bad root doesn't lead to good fruit. So it has to go from root to fruit. My sophomore year of high school, I'll never forget, I read this book called Lord of the Flies. Anybody else have read it before? Do they still make, make the youth read it? No? Maybe? Okay, they don't. They, they ditched it. But, yeah, so one of the things that we finished the book, and our, 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 our English per, uh, teacher at the time assigned us, was a closing paper on a debate, is man inherently good or evil. And I remember sitting there going, I don't have no framework as a sophomore in high school how to even answer this question. And it's still being debated. But what I'd love to do is I would look, like to set out what I see in scripture for this case. When you go to Genesis, you see that God created everything and he called it good. He called it good. He called it good. We were all designed in the image of God. He is the creator. He made all things. In fact, he designed us with a specific identity in mind, with specific personalities and abilities in mind, and he began to do that in our mother's womb. God designed us and said we were good. And so what I believe is I believe we see original design in Scripture before we see original sin in Scripture. We see original identity before we see original sin. I believe that we were designed to be a real fruit tree and not an ornamental fruit tree. We were designed to be the real thing and not this afterthought. Not this just edible. God didn't design us to go, yeah, I designed all of you and I made all of you and you are junk. No, he called us good. So there's original identity before we see original sin. So what does this mean? It means that since then and since that order, the enemy has been out through our life circumstances and people and situations to steal that identity from us. And he has been active at work 
to do so. However, like I said, we know from Scripture that we are God's masterpieces. And God is actively now working to restore to us our original design, to hold on to us as this, the enemy is trying to steal it. He's working to restore it and continue to remind us who we are, how we were designed, and who he made us to be. So when you're looking at the root in your life, you might see a couple things. And there might be a couple of you in this room that say, okay, I'm looking at the root, I'm looking at the tree of my life, And Liz, let's be real. I actually feel like I see some bad fruit. (laughs) I feel this way sometimes. So you're not alone. And I want to speak to those people for a second. I want to speak to the people who are saying, okay, I'm looking at my life and I, I see some bad fruit. I have this habit or this thing that I just like can't get out of my head or this thing that I just can't stop doing. Well, I'd like to share about our backyard. In our backyard, we have a key lime tree, okay? If anyone has recipes for key limes, please tell me, other than like a key lime pie or to squeeze on tacos, because we do that. But we have so many key limes, it's ridiculous, and you guys are all welcome to it. But what's going on in our backyard is we have this key lime tree, and for the most part, it produces really good key limes, really good fruit. But there's some times where it produces a couple of bad fruit, right? Anyone have a citrus tree and they know the deal with this? Yes. Just because the tree produces some bad fruit doesn't mean we have to cut the whole tree down. We just have to take that fruit, pay attention to it, and toss it. Okay? So my suggestion is for those in the room today that are feeling like, I feel like my tree produces some bad fruit, this is an invitation to pay attention to it, and to return to Jesus. There's something he wants to do with you in that. It doesn't make our whole key lime tree in our backyard bad in totality, right? One bad act does not mean your character is altogether bad. Just as one good action doesn't mean your character altogether is good, right? And so I want you to pay attention to what's going on inside of you. There might be two voices. There might be one voice that's saying, I am bad because I have bad fruit. That voice is what I like to call the voice of shame. The voice of shame tells us, I am bad. The voice of guilt distinguishes itself. The voice of guilt, instead of saying, I am bad, says, I did something bad. You see the difference? I am bad versus I did something bad. And having some bad fruit on your tree allows for us to accept this voice of guilt and go, I need to return to Jesus. It's it's like an alert or a notification on your phone that pops up and you click it because why did I get that alert? It's like an alert for you to explore a little bit deeper to what's going on in your life. And so... The voice of guilt is an invitation for us to go to Jesus, where, by the way, we are always met with love and forgiveness that is never-ending. We are always met with love and forgiveness that is never-ending. So pay attention to that voice that's going on inside of you if you notice, I got some bad fruit in there. You don't have to cut the whole tree out. It's an opportunity to go be with Jesus. 
The second is, Jesus would not have talked about there being bad trees if there weren't bad trees with bad roots. There are some trees that are bad. I think we could turn on the news for like a half a second and know this very quickly, that there is bad trees and diseased trees in our world. And so I would like to make a definition, especially for those in the room today that are going, Liz, I actually feel like I'm looking at my tree and I'm not sure, is it good? Is there good roots? Are there bad roots? Like what's going on? I actually don't know. And so this is how I'm gonna define what a diseased tree is, okay? A diseased tree is a, a tree that exists separated from God. Separated from God, okay? This is really important to understand because if you are the disciples and you're hearing Jesus speak about all this and this new kingdom and trees and metaphors and all this, in every kingdom there is a king. And what Jesus is saying to his disciples here in the text is, I am going to be the king of that kingdom. I am going to be on that throne. God is the king of the kingdom. A sick or diseased tree is instead saying we are no longer going to put God or we're going to actively choose not to put God on that throne. Instead, we're going to put ourselves or other things continually on the throne. Does that make sense? There's a difference of uh, just having some bad fruit on your tree and knowing, okay, there's a good root, original identity, original design. This is just an opportunity for me to pay attention and return to Jesus Versus what is an actual diseased tree? It's one that just exists separated from God. It's one that continues to choose to put other things on the throne of their life other than God. Now, if you're in the room today and you feel like, okay, my heart is racing, or does that mean I'm condemned, or does that mean like I'm a bad tree, Liz? I want you to know this. I want you to know that one, God desires a relationship with you. God desires to be on the throne of the king of your kingdom. And it's one that sets you free to be and live out your original identity and purpose instead of being held captive to this sin. And if you want an opportunity today to know Jesus and know relationship with him and allow for him to come and give you a new heart and give you new roots, that is available for you right now, today. We have a prayer team in the back after service that would pray with you. I will happily stand up here if anyone wants to talk about what that means. I, deserve, I believe that everyone deserves the right to choose. Jesus gives us a choice. And so if you want to choose Jesus today, I am all for you. So that is number one. Look at the root. Number two, examine the fruit. So we look at the root. Now we're going to examine the fruit. I think fruit is, uh, you know, it's an indicator. It's suggestive. And one thing that it po can point to in our life is that, it's that there's some incongruency. So what am I talking about here? Well, Paul, Apostle Paul in the Bible, when he writes to the Corinthians, you can see actually that he's getting a little bit frustrated with the Corinthians. He's getting frustrated because he's looking at their life and he's saying, hey, you guys have been walking with Jesus for a while, but your, your, your walk and your claims aren't 
lined up. They're not producing a ton of fruit. So what's going on here? So he writes to them in a second letter, and he says this in 2 Corinthians. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. <laughs> examine yourselves. Examining is so important. He's, he's telling the Corinthians, hey, we need to look at our lives. We need to look at the fruit. What does our fruit look like? Are our walk and our claims of Jesus lining up? I think when we examine ourselves, we find this, and I love that this scripture says this, we find that Christ Jesus is already in you. Christ Jesus is already in you. In the Gospel of John, we see uh, Jesus' words penned by John, and, and Jesus loves, absolutely loves tree imagery, soil, seeds, anything to do with trees, Jesus is always talking about. And in John 15, we see one of his most famous passages, uh, and I encourage you to read the entire chapter sometime this week in your own time, but we're going to read the first five verses, and it says this. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that I'll be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And then he sums it up in verse 5. Can we read this one together out loud? It says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what's the application for these two scriptures that we see, particularly about examining? I don't think there's necessarily an answer here, but there's an invitation for us to reflect. Jesus is saying, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me, and I in you. He is in us. Don't you already know I'm in you? Like he said, Paul writes in Corinthians. So the questions are, are you abiding in Christ? Are you remaining in him? How do you even know if you are? Well, I'd love to give you guys actually a very practical tool on how to do this, on how to do this. And there is a man by the name of Ignatius of Loyola. And he popularized this prayer called the examine prayer. And you could do it daily, you could do it weekly, you could do it monthly, you could do it annually. And if you Google it, there's gonna be all sorts of different guides that have been written on how to do examine prayer. So there's not just one way to do it. But for thousands of years, he has helped millions of Christians to be able to center themselves be able to center themselves, to reflect, and to look back on their day 
and to be invited into moments where maybe they saw Jesus at work or maybe they might have missed him in the moment. And it's just a way to reflect and pay attention to promptings of God. And my favorite thing about examine prayer is that it always ends, it always ends with an opportunity to continue to receive grace and forgiveness from Jesus. So if you missed him, don't worry. Tomorrow's a new day. And so what I've actually done is I actually printed out these, um, oh good, these half sheets of a simple guide. This is one of many. Like I said, you can find several other online. Um, and I set them out on the giving table in the back. So if you're interested in attempting or trying to do examine prayer this week, feel free, grab one on your way out. And I would even love to hear about your experience doing it. If that's something that you would uh, like to share, feel free to loop me in. In this particular guide, I actually pulled from a resource called the Prayer Course, and we are going to be doing the Prayer Course as a church this fall, starting on September 10th. It's an eight-week class. We'll break one week, though, because of trunk or treat, and if you have to miss a week or two, that's fine. But during second service, we'll be hosting this as a separate class, and myself and Heidi, and then once the baby comes, Aaron will be jumping in um, to lead this course. And really what it is is it, it, it serves everyone. It serves the people that are going, Liz, I've never prayed out loud, and it terrifies me. I see you. Sign up. And then it serves people who have been like, I've been walking with Jesus all this time, and, and I want to deepen my prayer life, or I want to learn new ways to pray. And this, I, I think this course is really well done, and, and, and it's an opportunity for us at Hope to cultivate a new spirit of prayer here as a church family. So I also have flyers for that out there um, on the giving table. If you want to pick up one of those, feel free. You're invited to do so. So back to the sermon. There's an examining of the, root, or of the fruit that is needed. And I want to take a second to speak to people who are saying, okay, Liz, I'm examining and my tree looks bare. There ain't no fruit. I want you to consider the seasons, right? There's seasons here where the all of our fruit trees don't have fruit on them. Consider your season. When I uh, first moved to the East Valley, I was in a rental property, and in the backyard there was mature pomegranate trees, and I knew they weren't in season yet, but something inside of me kicked in and was like, you need to water those bad boys and make sure that they get what they need, so when it's time for them to bear fruit, they will bear fruit. And I ended up writing this reflection. I went back to 2016 on Facebook to find it, but I wrote this on my Facebook. I said, Watering dead trees today, just another reminder that in all seasons, even if it feels pointless and fruitless, God is preparing us to bear fruit in the next. Don't give up in the harsh seasons of life. Here's the reality. You might be looking at your tree and you might be saying there is not much fruit. There is not much fruit. But in this type of long season, it might be that pruning season that in the Gospel of John he's talking about. There might be some branches that actually need to be cut off and thrown into the fire like it talks about in John. It might be a season of fertilizing and nurturing and caring for. And the promise is that if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. That's a beautiful promise. 
The pomegranates eventually came in and they were delicious, by the way. Secondly, if you're looking at your tree and you're like, there's, there's no fruit on this tree, I do want to say and suggest that there's actually always one fruit that's always in season. Mother Teresa says it like this. She says, love is a fruit in season at all times within reach of every hand. Every hand. Now, why? We all have access to bear the fruit of love, but why? What is love? Because God is love. And God is always in season and within reach. God is love, not love is God. God is love, as it says in 1 John 4. So as we're examining our fruit, these are things to pay attention to, what's going on. And the third movement is do. Do from the heart. So let's revisit our passage here and particularly look at verse 45. It says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What are you storing up in your heart? What's in your heart? Because it's what's ultimately, that, what's in your heart that is going to become the overflow and the outflow of your heart. Eugene Peterson's version says it like this, it's who you are, not what you say and do that counts. Your true being brims over into true words and deeds. So let's spend a couple of minutes actually talking about deeds. Now, I want to make it very clear that I believe that salvation is by, through, uh, by grace through faith alone, okay? So I, I'm not making any claims here that we are going to be saved by the works that we do. I want to make that very clear before we get into this. However, when you look at all the judgment scenes in Scripture... You're not judged by your faith. You're judged by your works. Kind of intimidating. So although we aren't saved by our actions, we are held accountable for them. So what does this mean? Let's break this down. Somewhere in between trusting in Jesus and that decision to follow Jesus and maybe people who go, okay, that one-time decision was enough and then I'm done. That's what my life looks like. To the other extreme of people who are saying, you have to earn your salvation through works and works and works and works and that's how you are saved. There must be something in the middle of those two things. When Jesus saves us, we're saved by faith alone in Christ, and he saves us into something. And he, I believe, saves us into discipleship, which means into a life of following him. When we receive the grace of Jesus, it leads to a change of heart that requires a response to some degree to him in his presence. I've heard it said before that if there has been no outer change, there has been likely been no interchange. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Scott McKnight. He's one of my favorite Bible scholars, and he writes this. He says, no one is saved by works, of course. Okay, we're not making that claim here. 
But everyone is judged by works because works are the inevitable life of the one who surrenders to, trusts in, and follows Jesus. The inevitable life. So as Jesus is giving this sermon, and he's flipping this script on what character is, and that character actually comes from the inside out and not the outside in, he's saying this is what genuine discipleship looks like. Genuine discipleship means an act of obedience that follows, that follows. There's a doing required. It's not just having the knowledge, but actually doing what you know. That's actually what wisdom is. Wisdom is when the knowledge meets action. That means we have to get what's in our mind into our heart. I call this the 13-inch journey. And it's the hardest journey that we have to go on over and over and over again as followers of Jesus. It's getting the stuff from our head. It's about 13 inches to our heart on average, unless you have a really long neck. On average, it's the 13-inch journey. It's a hard journey to go on. But knowledge is just knowledge if it stays up here, and, and character, in, according to this text, is produced in your heart. And so at some point, we have to get what's up here and get it down into our heart. And to go on that journey means there has to be some sort of obedience to Jesus to allow then for whatever is getting produced in our heart to become what comes out of us for the flourishing of God's kingdom into the world around us. This is why this head-to-heart journey matters. And so if knowledge just stays here, it's just information. Knowledge has to go on a journey from head to heart, which then allows for us to do and be paired into action, which is what I actually believe wisdom is. It's knowledge plus action. There's a definition of wisdom that I want to close with, and the worship team can head up back on up, and this is from James chapter 3. And it says this, but wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the type of picture that I have for doing from the heart, this overflow of a good tree, good roots, good fruit that comes from our heart. This is the text. And this is my prayer for us as a Hope Covenant family, that as we think about doing and pra- the practice of wisdom and taking the things that we have in our heart and then doing the things there from our heart, that we would be full of these types of postures. Peace, pure, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere, and we would reap this type of harvest. So as we finish in worship here, I'd love for us to go through these three movements again. Look at the root. Do you frequently choose to live out of your original design Or are you letting the original sin to 
run free? How might God want to restore you to your original design? Two, examine the fruit. Is there any incongruence between your walk with Jesus and your claims of Jesus? Is there any pruning that needs to happen? Is there any nurturing in an off-season that needs to happen? Is there any cutting off of branches that we need to get rid of? And three, do from the overflow of the heart. What is stored up in your heart? Have we allowed a 13-inch journey to happen, to allow the knowledge of God to be translated into a wisdom and doing of God that leads to the flourishing of the world around us? God's kingdom and character is about the inside out and not the outside in. And so as we spend this last couple moments in worship, reflect on those things, and I'll come right back up to close us. Mm -hmm.